0: This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. L.A. could be the latest city to give no-strings-attached cash payments to people who need it.
2: This year, Los Angeles will launch the largest guaranteed basic income pilot of any city in America.
0: That was L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti at his State of the City speech last night.
2: We have budgeted $24 million to provide $1,000 a month to 2,000 households for an entire year. No questions asked wherever poverty lives in our city.
0: While the concept of a guaranteed income isn't new, it's gained momentum recently with experiments around the world and right here in California, most famously in Stockton. Only Angelinos at or below the federal poverty line would be eligible. The mayor's office says other criteria are still being considered but will likely include whether a potential recipient supports a child or has a demonstrated medical or financial hardship due to COVID-19.
2: When you give money to people who are poor, it creates better outcomes. It covers childcare. It puts food on the table. It leads to more high school graduations and better checkups.
0: The guaranteed income experiment is part of a so-called equity and justice budget, which Garcetti will formally introduce today. A federal judge is limiting the LA Police Department's use of so-called less-lethal weapons during protests. The judge ordered that the projectile launchers can only be used by specifically trained officers and only after warnings have been issued. Black Lives Matter Los Angeles filed a request for a temporary restraining order against the LAPD in light of incidents last month when officers clashed with protesters and a photojournalist was reportedly injured by a projectile launched by police. organization is also suing over how the department handled protests over the killing of George Floyd last summer, alleging that police hurt several demonstrators. This comes as law enforcement agencies across the state are preparing for possible protests in light of the verdict being handed down in Derek Chauvin's trial. Images of the former police officer's knee on George Floyd's neck in his final minutes have played around the world since the trial began three weeks ago, For one professor of public health at UC Berkeley, those images and Chauvin's defense carry the weight of history. To her, they're proof of how stereotypes about the health and well-being of people in the Black community are used to shift blame in acts of police brutality. Here's Professor Denise Hurd.
3: Some of the imagery around Black men being threatening based on their size, based on, on the fact that Floyd was believed to be under the influence and the the belief that being under the influence could make someone suddenly be non-compliant, suddenly be wild and mm. uncontrollable. These seem to me to be like very stereotypical type of images that have been prominent um, You know, ever since. I, I think they came into strong prominence, especially during the post-reconstruction period. Mm. I actually did research Uh, That period and looking at the way those kind of images were used in the prohibition movement to say that one of the reasons why there should be prohibition in the South was because of the wild, uncontrollable nature of Black men uh, as beasts who, when, Mm. when drinking, they would rape white women. That's one of the things that came up for me, the fact that a police officer would caused the death of someone by placing them in that kind of hold for nine and a half minutes while the person is obviously struggling, can't breathe, and people all around them are telling him to stop reminded me of a present-day lynching.
0: You know, one of the things we heard the defense talk about in this case was they argue that George Floyd died due to previous health problems that he had with his heart, for example. We heard them talk about how he had drugs in his system. What do you make of that argument, and how does it tie back to your concerns about the way that white supremacy and ideas that, um, white supremacist ideas have played out in the courtroom in this case?
3: They brought in a number of witnesses that have flatly refuted the defense's arguments. I mean, I, I remember accounts stating that one, uh, you know, at least one, if not more people said that even a healthy person would have died under those circumstances and that his health problems, you know, did not contribute really to his death. The other thing that disturbs me as a person in public health is that, you know, these kind of health problems, chronic health problems are very common in communities of color. So we have somebody who is not only being you know, treated very badly, I mean, in fact, being killed by the police, but also being blamed for having a health problem that is also a result, in my opinion, of systemic racism. So we have communities of color where heart disease is rampant. It's one of the number one killers in the Black community. And so instead of looking at that, Instead of blaming George Floyd for having a heart condition and, and, uh, and blaming the murder on a heart condition, it's being used to help exonerate a policeman. And that, to me, is really problematic when these communities are already being killed at earlier ages by things like the chronic diseases, as well as something like COVID. And George Floyd also had recovered from COVID you know, only to be then killed at the hands of the police.
0: Mm. Well, the eyes of the world are on Minneapolis. Uh, we are all watching uh, what comes of this verdict. UC Berkeley public health professor Denise Hurd. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you.
2: Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures. Then you should check out the Bay Curious book.
3: Showing your support is easy and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED podcast too at donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast.
0: The powerful statewide association that represents prosecutors across California is facing questions from lawmakers after revelations that it misused millions of dollars in public funds. KQED politics correspondent Marisa Lagos has more.
2: An audit last year of the California District Attorneys Association revealed that the group had misused at least $2.9 million in public funds, meant to help prosecutors enforce environmental and worker safety laws. Instead, the audit found it was used on things like lobbying. The group has proposed a plan to pay it back, but a representative of the nonpartisan Legislative Analyst Office told lawmakers at an oversight hearing that it could take up to 30 years. Assemblyman Mark Stone says that timeline is unacceptable and that the CDAA needs to come up with a real plan to pay this money back and pay it back now. Other committee members agreed, noting that CDAA is a powerful political player in California, often lobbying for tougher crime laws and getting involved in elections. Assemblywoman Christina Garcia says the group it engages in a lot of political activity, which is what, what troubles
0: me. I do not want to see public funds being used for political um, campaigns out there, and we know that they aggressively engage in those campaigns in big dollars amounts uh, every cycle.
2: The CDAA declined to attend the hearing, citing an investigation into the funds by the California Department of Justice. For the California Report, I'm Marisa Lagos.
0: Here in the Bay Area, Santa Clara County no longer has a shortage of coronavirus vaccines. That is a big change from just a month ago. KQED's Polly Stryker reports.
2: Back in February and March, county health officials talked a lot about COVID-19 vaccine shortages. But Santa Clara County recently qualified for a federal program aimed at underserved communities. And it received about 300,000 doses of vaccine last week. That's on top of what comes from the state. Dr. Ahmad Kamal directs health care preparedness for the county. Even though thousands of appointments have become available, Kamal says they're still working to get the word out in vulnerable communities, including sign-up fairs.
0: We have door-to-door outreach efforts going, knocking on people's doors, offering them appointments.
2: Around 60% of county residents 16 and over has had at least one dose of COVID-19 vaccine.
0: That was KQED's Polly Stryker. LA County is also expecting a boost in the number of COVID-19 vaccine doses this week. The Department of Public Health says the county is expected to receive nearly 40,000 more doses than it did last week for a total of 362,000. And that doesn't include allocations that are sent directly from the federal government to health centers and pharmacies in the county. Officials had been concerned about a possible shortage due to issues with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Well, L.A. is home to the largest urban oil field in the country, and about a third of L.A. County residents live less than a mile from an active drilling site. A new study from USC finds the area's long history with fossil fuel extraction has health impacts for residents living near active and inactive sites. KCRW's Tara Atrion has more. Wheezing, dizziness, and reduced lung function. Those are some of the health issues living near urban oil wells can bring about, according to the USC study. In some cases, respiratory harm can even rival daily exposure to secondhand tobacco smoke or living next to a freeway. Researcher Jill Johnston says there are about 2,500 active oil wells across L.A. County. And we know there's hundreds of thousands of residents that live in really
2: close proximity So these communities that are at the fence line of the oil
0: development are at much higher risk to these adverse impacts The study focused on two South L.A. neighborhoods. The region is densely populated and home to many low-income Black and Latinx families. According to Johnston, the health impacts highlighted by the research raise environmental justice concerns. On average, study participants did have normal lung functions. But Angelina's living closest to those active extraction efforts showed notably reduced respiratory capacity. For the California Report, I'm Tara Atrion in Los Angeles. And that is the California Report for this Tuesday, April 20th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.
3: Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor, personalcapital.com. Stanford Medicine, protecting your health, and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits, stanfordhealthcare.org slash adaptingcare. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere.